This episode is brought to you by ABC. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. Andy finally becomes captain, and she's going to give it her all to be the best leader this station has ever seen. Will she succeed? Get ready for fiery new romances and high adrenaline rescues. Watch the Station 19 season premiere tonight at a new time, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Well, folks, our entire culture has now decided men are women, women are men, and you must be forced to consume product that says so. This can be the only reason why Bud Light, a beer, is now promoting itself during March Madness, a male-oriented event, by hiring a man who says he is a woman dressed as Audrey Hepburn to sell you beer. This is a thing that actually happened over the weekend. Now, I understand Bud Light is piss water masquerading as beer, so I guess that, you know, it's sort of trans beer, I suppose. This is The Middle with Anthony Weiner. Unplugged. Welcome to episode 26 of The Middle Unplugged, a break in the middle of the week when we reclaim the microphone from the far left and the far right and try to carve out some time for a less shrill and less extreme and generally less angry conversation. Well, I might not be the right person to explain the Bud Light boycott thing. Uh, for one thing, there's a bit of one hand clapping going on here. It seems to me it's not really a debate going on so much as a bunch of people flipping out and a whole bunch of other people who are not flipping out, but not even knowing there is a debate they're supposed to be flipping out about. Also, I, I'm not a beer drinker. I don't drink beer. I gave up drinking in 2016 as part of my effort to get sober from other things. But I have to admit that much of what I am about to tell you, I had to make an effort to find out. So if it's news to you, well, you're welcome, America. Uh, given the reaction that I saw, kind of sort of out of the corner of my eye, I thought there was some new beer spokesperson who was trans, but it's kind of way less than that. Budweiser sent a bunch of beers to a social media person called Dylan Mulvaney. The cans had her picture on it. She posted a picture of herself with the cans. She is transgender. I had no idea who she was, but others apparently do. She has about 1.8 million followers on Instagram, it says here, and 10.8 million on TikTok. And she's got deals with a bunch of major companies like Nike and uh, Tampax, uh, different companies. Some important context here. She was dressed like Holly Golightly from Breakfast at Tiffany's. So was the problem that we all know there is no way that Holly Golightly would be drinking a Bud Light? I mean, I'm pretty sure. Well, I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that there wasn't such a thing as even light beer when the book was published in the late 50s or the movie came out. The movie came out in 1961. And I actually did look this up. Miller Lite came out in 1973, Bud Light in 1982. I mean, read the room. I'm not sure she's the right person dressed in that outfit to be endorsing this product. Just accidentally, by way of rabbit holes I got when I was looking all this stuff up, the drink of choice for Holly Golightly in Breakfast at Tiffany's, it was a white angel. You know, I thought that might be interesting. And then I looked up what that is. It's a variation of a on a martini with two ounces of gin, two ounces of vodka, shaken over ice without any vermouth, poured into a martini glass. Jesus, girl, that is some drink. Anyway, knowing social media as I do, I could totally see a kerfuffle about what an odd costume choice Miss Mulvaney made. But no, mostly it's the Miz part. The kerfuffle was that all things trans seem to freak people out recently, and they're a great bait for a fairly narrow part of the internet world. I mean, it's not just on the internet. It has become a big thing in state capitals all over. This year, 434 bills were introduced to restrict things like health care and education, freedom of expression for LGBTQ plus people, concentrated mostly across southern states, but not only. Most of the bills have advanced at least a committee. Nearly two dozen bills have been passed into law. 
And the overall tally, that 434 number, it's up. It was only 315 last year at this time. And there are other things on the list, curriculum restrictions, book bans we've heard a lot about, upset about drag shows, that's even reached here in New York, and of course, participation in sports. In Arkansas, Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders recently signed a ban on transgender people using school bathrooms that do not match their identity. I think they looked at their birth certificate to determine that. In Florida, lawmakers introduced a bill that prevents minors from receiving gender-affirming care and would force kids to detransition if they've already begun hormone therapy. With the exception of that last one, it doesn't show any signs of being a hugely popular movement. That, that last piece, I think I found a poll that said 43% of people say they support those laws of, you know, of making it a crime to provide gender transition-related medical care to minors. And that's up. So that part of it clearly is getting some, some traction. But I digress. Getting back to the Bud Light thing, this relatively minor thing, sending a trans social media cat some beer, has made Bud Light the front line of this storm. It has people like Kid Rock, who used to be someone shooting at cans with an AK-47, combining all of the favorite things of this movement. Travis Tritt, another country music act that I know from his name, said that he's banning it from his tour, banning Bud Light from his tour, and outrage over this. I'm not really sure how that works, but I strained for a way to kind of understand this or make this matter. I mean, maybe I should be worried that if a boycott works, maybe Budweiser or other companies stop being good companies, but they're not really good at anything. They support lousy candidates and they support bad causes and they pollute the crap out of everywhere they operate and their products are mostly suck and they make people have accidents. Anyway, maybe I should dial that part down a little bit. I have to assume that the company is doing this for the same reason companies always try to ride trends. They assume that by definition, a trend will last and it reflects in, I guess, an incremental change in, the, in things and that will ultimately grow their brand to be part of that change. And when you have a company that is so massive, I think a $100 billion company, and has so many brands, I'm sure that progress is measured in tiny improvements to market share. On the other hand, we often assume that every move particularly by big companies, and sometimes this infects our thinking about politicians as well, is we think these moves are so carefully calibrated and tested. In this case, since the reaction was so out of proportion to the gesture, just so you understand, a few cans, no one's sponsoring anything, a few cans were sent to a single social media influencer that maybe it could be that Budweiser was just caught flat-footed. Um, the internet, as always, is a sort of build-your-own-narrative tool for this kind of thing. And you can find stories with interviews from liquor store owners in Arkansas or bartenders in Montana talking about how nobody would be caught dead buying or ordering a Bud Light nowadays. On the other hand, the stock price seems not to be impacted. It's actually been up a little over the last month. And one measure of this issue, whether it has legs or not, is the reaction from the company itself. It seems to me, if I were to give them advice before they had acted, I would have said the smart thing to do would be do, do nothing. But when you have hundreds of millions of dollars of advertising and marketing budgets and lots of PR people working for you and advertising people advising you on how to make friends and influence people, I doubt anyone who advocated, hey, boss, just sit tight, felt that they had a very compelling argument. So Anheuser-Busch goes and puts out some statements. Um, no doubt, after a committee of consultants and in-house crisis people and masters of the universe types, we're all sharing it on a Google Doc. Here's some of the things they came up with. For one thing, they said, Anheuser, this is a quote, Anheuser-Busch works with hundreds of influencers across our brands in one of the many ways to authentically connect with audiences across various demographics. 
From time to time, we produce unique commemorative cans for fans and for brand influencers like Dylan Mulvaney. This commemorative can was a gift to celebrate a personal milestone and not for sale to the general public. Now, they were all fine with the intru- with that kind of as a general description of the facts. And then, as if they couldn't leave it alone, Anheuser-Busch puts out a lengthy, kind of tepid statement from its CEO, a guy named Brendan Whitworth. And here's what he says. He is, quote, responsible for ensuring every consumer feels proud of the beer we brew. We have thousands of partners, millions of fans, and a proud history supporting our communities, military, first responders, sports fans, and hardworking Americans everywhere. And then he goes on to say, we never, quote, we never intended to be part of a discussion that divides people. We are in the business of bringing people together over a beer. So there you go. That should settle it. No? So they defended their position? Not really. The whole we never intended to thing sounded like they were kind of sorry. The whole proud to be supporting like seemed to seem to the anti-trans crowd to be kind of equating. Was this a low-key double reverse jujitsu to keep the story going? I doubt it, right? But it did succeed in doing that. They just gave more oxygen to the contra temps. By the way, that's a word I've seen written, and I've always wanted to say it. Anyway, but before I return to my lane and talk about the politics of this, let me say one more thing about the business of boycotts. The boycott of cores in the 70s and 80s worked on me, I got to be honest. As my political and social identity were being formed and I was learning to drink beer at the same time, I was learning I was a progressive, liberal, Democrat, whatever it was. I think my first election was for Walter Mondale in 1984. I mean, it never cost me anything beyond refusing to pick one up at a party or whatever, but it stuck with me to this day. Today, some of the snickering around the right-wing fury about this issue is how many people are saying they're switching to Coors. So I looked it up. Coors arguably has a higher profile on queer issues than Bud does, or so it seems. They advertise in gay publications, they participate in gay pride things, etc. So, you know, for me... As a young person, maybe that's the lasting political lesson that we should take away from Bud Lightgate. And it's kind of an obvious one that after years of wondering if it would happen, younger voters and consumers are now difference makers. Um, you know, we discussed the impact that younger voters had on the recent swing election in Wisconsin, where they were apparently so animated by the fact that choice is now literally and not figuratively a ballot question in the post-Roe era that they lined up around the blocks around college campuses and turned what would normally be a one or two point election into 11 point blowout for the Democrats. And they're growing up, you know, in the era of learning duck and cover drills because of the feckless failure of my generation of politicians to do anything about gun control. They're growing up to be very pro-gun control. So as far as being groomed or manipulated by the presence by the presence of diversity in their social media lives, they, these younger voters, younger people, have adopted an acceptance that seems quite natural for them. So natural, in fact, that the crazy reactions they see around them drive them further left without the left really having to do anything more than simply existing. So does it matter this boycott as a matter of economic sense? I don't know. I mean, have you noticed how concentrated the beer industry is? I mean, even the leaders of the outrage are bragging about their quote-unquote switch. They're unwittingly just moving to other AB InBev brands. That's the name of this conglomerate. What a lousy name. One in three beers sold in the world is already theirs. Bud Light, you know, arguably was a fading brand in that constellation of brands that they own. But the politics of libertarianism is now making young people more likely to vote liberal and Democrat. I mean, they are responding with their dollars in the case of the marketplace and with their democratic and even social democratic votes when it comes to elections. The voice seems to be 
uh, have been captured best by on the Bud Light issue by Howard Stern, of all people, who has, I wouldn't call him an icon of young America anymore. He professed to be dumbfounded by all of it and captured my emotion perfectly when he wondered why so many of these celebrities care so much about this. And he seemed not be doing it performatively. He seemed to really mean it, like he didn't understand it. But the answer may come from looking at the fight over gay rights. There were, okay, there probably maybe still are, people who simply don't see that there is any such thing as a gay person. They only see straight people acting in an abnormal way. That was always their fundamental argument for shunning and discrimination. And that is what's happening today. Trans people are seen by many on the right as not a real thing. This is about men wearing dresses and wanting to be in the women's bathroom because they're abnormal or they want to win a swimming mate. Young people are growing up with less and less sense that trans is the thing to even consider as abnormal, let alone worthy of sanction. I mean, Bill Maher recently weighed in. He likes to be iconoclastic by suggesting that simply dismissing all of this as a red herring, which is essentially what I am doing and saying that many young people are doing, that there are real issues of what to do with things like trans people in sports and the other matter of how women perceive this encroachment on their gender. Is the, what is the, essentially the feminist take on this? I'll leave that second part for others. But this issue of trans people in sports, I do have a view on. As the father of an 11-year-old who plays organized sports and through sports who I always look for opportunities to do the teaching part of being a parent. First, this isn't a big thing. I see no signs anywhere of a flood of trans kids trying to play sports and, and certainly not to make it worthy of legislation where a bunch of old white people are going to try to solve this problem. Um, like I spoke out about la on last week's podcast or the weeks before about school officials in one state authorizing school officials to do physical inspections of genitalia to make sure everyone's on the right team. Second, for most kids Jordan's age, the programs are co-ed and without any questions. He's 11. Um, this weekend, the winning goal in a shootout in his hockey game was taken by a girl. Not once in all the post-game chatter in the locker room of these 11-year-old, these mischievous 11-year-old kids, was there any mention of this fact? I mean, they were cursing like sailors and making fun or being upset about other things. But I would like to believe that any parent who is faced with the reality of a trans kid running track or swimming against their child would use it to tell the enduring lessons of sports participation. Kids come from different places, have different looks, are, some are bigger than others, some are uncoordinated, some have birth defects. There are all kinds of ways that kids look and sound different. But most people who are upset about the identity of a person who is posing with a beer can is not really interested in having a conversation. They're most interested in having something to be upset about. And we'll be right back with Listener Mail. Welcome back to The Middle Unplugged. I'm Anthony Weiner. Every week on The Middle Unplugged, we like to dip into the mailbag, the various ways that people get to reach out. I do a radio show 2 o'clock on Saturdays called The Middle, where obviously that feedback comes in the form of calls. Listener mail can come from someone dropping me a note at, at Rep Weiner, R-E-P-W-E-I-N-E-R, Weiner, W-A-B-C, at gmail.com is my email address. We also have a Facebook page. And uh, each week we try to do something. Uh, we try to get a little feedback. This week it's a little hard for me. I think the guy's name is Max. His He didn't include his name, and I'm just kind of sussing it out from the email address. And he asks, why aren't you talking about the Fox News lawsuit? Did John make you nerf your attacks? Well, um, this is, I'll tell you why I'm not talking. But first of all, yesterday was the opening arguments in this Dominion v. Fox News. 
I talk about it from time to time in passing on the radio show. I just don't think there's anyone left to talk to about this issue. Now, I find the the issues in the case fascinating, you know, when something rises to defamation, what the tests are. I'm not a lawyer, but I kind of enjoy kind of the, the sport of kind of watching it play out. But what difference does it really make to the fundamentals of the thing? Is it a surprise that Fox News hosts knew what they were saying about uh, the 2016 and 2020 elections? Did any of that matter? It, they, they knew it. They knew these things. Anyone with any, with any ability to read, with any ability to do even a modicum of research, anyone with any amount of common sense, anyone who following all the lawsuits knew that there was nothing to them and they were wrong. Anyone who was doing interviews with the players at the time knew they sounded crazy and were offering no evidence. These are news people. The idea that all the revelations coming out that they knew what they were saying was incorrect and they'd been told it was and they all knew it inside. Why is that a surprise? And so people have argued, well, this is a very important case because now it is going to loosen the hold that Fox News has on their viewers because their viewers are going to find out that they were shoveling them falsities. Do you think so? Do we think that the people who are sitting on their couches watching Fox News are in any way curious or any way open to the idea that what Fox News is telling them is not true? Do you think, I mean, just the other day, Carlson sat down with Donald Trump. He had written the most scathing things about how he's, how Trump is, he considers Trump a nightmare. He can't wait till he's gone. And back again, interviewing him as if nothing happened. So part of the reason I don't talk about this is that I don't think that there are any any anyone's being persuaded by it. It's interesting, but I don't think there's there's really two sides to the thing. The only question is, does it reach this level of test of malice? And that's something I trust a jury will work out. This notion that, by the way, I think it's important to say this, that, you know, have I been asked to nerf my attacks? You know, when I came and joined the WABC and Red Apple Podcast Network as as a contributor, I was positioned as this liberal that was going to be doing a show. First, I started doing a show with Curtis Lee. I still do. It called Left Versus Right. But in fact, you know, I am not the pugilist that maybe I, I once was. And I think that by the defin- by the descriptions of today's Democratic Party, I'd be firmly in the middle, not the far left in, in any regard. But the clear message that I got from a business perspective is it helped ABC and it helps here the, on the podcast network to have a diversity of voices because they don't want to become like Fox News. Even with that popularity, they don't want to be a place that's one hand clapping like the issue I described earlier. So no, no one asked me to ever nerf the attack. They said, you know, bring your facts, bring your common sense, bring your whatever. Um, but that's certainly not why I'm talking about the Fox lawsuit. I'm not talking about it because to be honest, if you are following the case and you're interested, then you've probably decided a long time ago that Fox is not a credible place to get your news. And if you're not, you're probably immune to being told that Fox News, there's anything wrong with them. You're probably like hearing what you're hearing and you're not going to change. So that's what we got for listener mail. I really do appreciate you participating in the, in the program by by sending in listener mail. I mean, I'm be reading them each week. And of course, if you like what you hear on this podcast on the Middle Unplugged, feel free to download it, share it, leave comments. Some apps give you the opportunity to, to rate it. We, uh, we urge you to rate it appropriately, hopefully five stars across the board because that's the way other people find out about it. We'll be back with another episode of The Middle Unplugged, and I encourage you to tune into my radio show on Saturday at 2 o'clock, which can be heard on 77 WABC Radio in the New York area, or you can stream it on WBCRadio.com. Thank you so much for joining in, and this is the end of The Middle Unplugged.
tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.